0: Welcome to the Joe Watt Podcast. I am Joe Vendramini from the University of Florida Range Cattle Research and Education Center at ONA. And today, our guest is Mr. Ed Jennings, uh, uh, County Extension Director in Levy County. Ed, thanks for being with us today.
1: You're welcome. I'm glad to be with you, Joe.
0: Um, Ed, I would like to ask you, please, to uh, give you a a little information much information about you, your background, and what you have done? Well, I am a, a
1: Florida native. I was actually born and raised in Hillsborough County, on north side of Tampa, upon the, the Pasco County line. Um, family. Uh, had a small beef cattle operation and did some other agricultural enterprises as I was growing up. So I always had an interest in agriculture. I uh, wound up going to the University of Florida, where I got a degree in animal sciences, and um, pretty much started in extension right out of college so I'm now coming to the end of my 34th
0: year as an extension agent. And and Ed, uh, you also in your education background you got a degree in uh, animal sciences and your master's is related to animal sciences as well?
1: That's correct, yep.
0: Okay, and and Ed, uh, I will have a few questions for you and my first question will be um, considering the management practices that we have in livestock production in Florida that you have been working for a long time, what are the management practices that you think were important 20, 30 years ago and they are still current and they are still very impactful in our uh, livestock operation?
1: Well, I think Florida is pretty unique, I think, and we have different environmental factors than most of the rest of the country. And as you know, certainly from a forage-based standpoint, it's very, very different. But also from a cattle adaptability standpoint, that's a, a real challenge that we have. You know, our producers, they're, they're pushed more and more to strive to meet um, you know meet quality standards, um, which may or may not be real, real easy to get done in our environment because uh, you know, some Brahmin influence seems to be pretty important for adaptability. So I think that's something that we've been working with and, and maybe you can kind of say struggling with through the years, that we can pretty well get you know, breeds adaptable to the area and make some composites and crossbreds and whatnot. But then when we try to match that up with the beef quality carcass side, may not much match up quite as well as we would hope. So I think getting those two things together is something that we've made some progress on, but I think there's a lot more that could be made on that area.
0: And Ed, if you have to select one management practice that you think that came out of a research, it can be from here, from Florida, or anywhere, and that was implemented in production systems, producers really adopted that thing and change somehow and create an impact in the livestock production in Florida. Would you have uh, one or two? Things that you, come to your mind? Yeah, uh, the,
1: the one that jumps out at me to begin with um, goes back a ways, um, and, and that would be the Bahia grass fertilization work that we did. Um, you know, back in the day when I first started, everybody was pretty, putting, pretty much putting out a blended mix of fertilizer, regardless. And we did that work with the, with the phosphorus and found that you know, in, in certain situations, in the right conditions and right management schemes, and maybe the phosphorus and potassium wasn't quite as important, at least not to look at as the first priority that the nitrogen was. And that was a lot of work that we put in on that deal. And uh, faculty at ONA were right in the middle of that thing. Of course, that was nearly 30 years ago. And I, I find that producers have really put pretty well accepted that. And I think that that has saved them some money through the years. And also, I think that's probably helped us out a little bit on the environmental side of things to be able to say, look, we're cutting back on excess, you know, nutrients that
0: are not needed. And Ed, would you think about something more related to livestock that also you think it was impactful? Well,
1: I think that the the health protocols on the cow have gotten much, much better. Uh, I think we've got much healthier, better prepared calves to go to feed yards now than we had back in the. Uh, I think that there's been an emphasis put on that. I think that our ranchers now understand that, okay, it's not the end of the road for them just because they slammed that tailgate on that semi before it heads west. I think there's a lot more buy-in from the local producers to make sure that that calf is healthy and gets off to a good start so that he will perform well once he gets that, that second phase of his life in the production system.
0: And as you were touching that area, Ed, now that you are here in Levy County, so we have seen uh, more stalkers and probably finishing operations in the state of Florida, when it used to be pretty much a cow calf operation. And how how are your thoughts about we probably going back and doing more of the stalking and finishing? And what do you think is the probably the the good the good portion of that activity or some uh, challenges as well? Well,
1: that's a really good point. And as you know, uh, a lot of that stockering and feeding is done right here in Levy County. And I'm, I'm fairly new here, so I'm really learning about that. But I think that's one of the most interesting things about this area is that we've got cattle coming in here from all over the state, really, to be stockered or backgrounded and finished at uh, a couple of different locations here. And it certainly is challenging um, for all the same reasons that we've had all these years about not finishing cattle here while we shipped them you know, closer to the grain, a different kind of climate where they fed better. But technology has changed, and our folks here are able to grow corn or have corn grown by area farmers in this region that aren't that far away from them. And it's a lot easier and better to do that now than it was 20 years ago or so. So that seems to be working out pretty well. I think one of the real big advantages is to keep those cattle a little bit more local. You don't have to ship them quite as far. The other thing is, since they are from the state and in the state, um, they're able to be sold under that fresh from Florida Florida Department of Agriculture label, and there seems to be a real growing market of consumers that want that, and if we're able to fill that niche and help our producers, by by golly, I'm I'm just all for that.
0: Ed, uh, one specific thing that has been quite challenging during my short career here at the University of Florida it has been probably the most basic step in management of forages and cattle. That is the soil testing. So I feel that that is a component of most of the extension programs that I have, and I think we keep talking about the importance of soil testing, but I I, I think we don't make enough progress. Although know, we know how to do it, we know how to uh, read the soil testing and we provide service regarding. We can still now go to a lot of places and have a current soil testing that will able that producer to make a good decision about fertilization. So wh- why do you think that uh, that is the case? And if it's not the case, please, I'd like to hear your opinion about it.
1: No, I think it is the case in, in a lot of circumstances. Although we, we do have, certainly have Producers are really keep current on that, but across the board, I suspect you're right that it, we don't really keep up with that as well as we should. As far as reasons, I think there's probably a, a couple different ones. Is um, and I think first and foremost, most of the folks we deal with, they're cattle people. They're animal people. They really would rather be messing with cows than they would be pulling dirt out of the ground, or as I should say, soil. My soil professor from 30 years ago would slap me for saying dirt. But yeah, from pulling the soil samples out of the ground, and I think there's another thing it's kind of out of sight out of mind okay it's it's under the under the forage they're growing, so I don't think it's something they think about. they ride the pastures, the grass is quite visible, they look at the cows, they look at the calves. We don't really think about the soil that much, it's holding us all up really, I don't think, and I think the third thing is i've and I've heard people actually say this through the years is well, it's Florida, it's sorry sandy soil, so and I'm not going to put that much out there anyway. So any fertilizer is better than nine. Why bottle? So I think you put all of those together and I think that's kind of what we get is maybe a little bit apathetic about it. Um, I think that's something as extension agents that we all could probably do a little bit better job on, you know, promoting that and helping them understand that it's a really good bargain. It's a really inexpensive test and it can give you an awful lot of information. I know that usually when I'm dealing with somebody that is having a pasture or forage issue, They they tell me about what's going on. One of the first things I ask them is, do you have a recent soil analysis on this? And if not, let's get one because that can help us, you know, eliminate some things right off the bat. And that's that's a basis for what you start your diagnosis with
0: of a pasture issue. And and Ed, um, if you think about some current challenges that. The livestock industry is facing right now. Could you think about one or two that you could mention?
1: One is actually from the consumer side of things, and, and that is the perception that we still have out there amongst the, many of the consumers that we're just loading these cattle up full of antibiotics and hormones and all that kind of thing. And I think that that's something that we are, you know, making some progress on. Our beef quality assurance training is, is really helpful in getting our producers to understand, you know, to handle those things the right way um, for a lot of reasons, for the welfare of the animals, but also for consumer confidence. I think that's a really big one. Um, you know, the other thing is we still live in a, in a somewhat subtropical, subtropical environment here. Um, you know, Levy County particularly, uh, you know, we have hot, humid summers, generally a lot of rainfall. Tropical storms may come in here and you may get 10, 12 inches in a weekend. And then in the fall, it dries down and we can't seem to buy rain. You know, then we go to, to temper it almost dry. And we're cold enough here. I mean, this year, in January, we were in the low 20s for, for a couple of days in a row. Um, certainly lots of frost and freezing temperatures. So I think it's challenging. And I think, honestly, from a forage standpoint, that that's what makes it really challenging for us. And I think that's something that we've still got some holes in our forage production system. It's really tricky to get a range to get through those short periods. You know, we grow the full out of some warm season grasses in the summertime. And We've got some cool season annuals that we grow up in here, especially in this area, following peanuts and watermelons and whatnot. But there's still has fall and spring gaps where it's a little bit dicey sometimes. So I think that's an area that I'm particularly interested in, you know, trying to fill those in because the forage base makes the cow
0: work. And and Ed, we are uh, going towards the end of our conversation here. I'll have three questions for you for quick questions, for quick answers. Um, the first one is if you have to pick two forged species that you think are really important to Florida, which one will be?
1: Well there's a lot of them, but, I, you know, I, I can't get by without naming the hair grass first. It's just so, I mean there's a reason there's 3 million acres of it in Florida. And we cuss it and discuss it, and it's, it's not going to be a, a world record setter on, you know, nutritional quality. We know that, but it sure is durable and it works really well for us. So that would be the first one. The other one to me is a, is a little bit newer one that I haven't dealt with as much, um, but that would be the homothria species, especially the two new varieties, the High and the Tuck. And I've actually got some folks here in Levy County that we're going to be doing some work with some. Um, it piques my interest because folks seem to think that, oh, it's a South Florida grass, but we're finding it. it takes the cold weather just about as well as the other forces we've got. And we've got some flatwood soils in these areas that I think it can do some real good on. So that would be my second one right now.
0: And, and Ed, if you have to pick two cattle breeds that you think are well adapted and you like it personally in the region. Well,
1: I'm going to pick two very different ones. And the first one's going to, going to be well adapted. And that's going to be any of the Brahmin composites, like your Brahmin, your Braifords, your Sunbra types, Mm -hmm. anything like that. I look a little bit of Brahmin in my, in my brood cows if I'm going to be. If I win the lottery tomorrow and I get to buy a big ranch somewhere, I'm going to have some Brahmin influence. Maybe not quite as much as 3 eighths, but possibly as much as 3 eighths. certainly a quarter. Um, my second breed I'm going to pick from personal reasons is because that's what my kids kind of have shown, and my youngest daughter is still in the showing phase of her life, and that simmental, and she shows them. And I think as a terminal sire, I think that they do have some promise as well. You know, the continental breed, a little bit of extra heterosis there certainly some size and some muscling so I'm gonna go with any of the ramen, you know composites and then I'm gonna pick some and I'll just be different for my second
0: and Ed uh, when you were not at work uh, what is your hobby what do you try to do in your uh, I don't I don't know if you have a lot of free time with the kids <laughs> and work but in your spare time well I do we, we do
1: uh, you know do
0: the cattle show thing um,
1: with, with the Kids have done a lot of that. My daughter's still finishing up high school, and she'll be finishing up this next year, so we do that. Um, I'm a pretty big Gator sports fan, I'm particularly football, basketball, and baseball, and I'm a big fan of the, the women's softball team because they're so good, and every once in a while I like to hunt and fish a little bit when I get away.
0: Great, uh, and Ed, I would like to thank you for for participating in the podcast today, and I am Joe Vendramini. Joe what?